What's up, black people? It's 2021, and we are still here. It's Black Loud Proud, and this is Straight Yak, No Motherfucking Chaser. And so, this year, (laughs) I'm going to start it off talking about something that is important to me. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I am a strong advocate for mental health. Um, so I've been hanging out on the clubhouse and I met this awesome brother that I just cannot wait for you to hear from. This is straight yak and it is what it is. So I am going to bring up my good brother, Mr. Darius Brown. Darius, come up here What's and introduce yourself. Tell the world who you are, brother. What's going on? What's going on? First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Darius Brown. I am a two-time author, motivational speaker, and a peak performance coach for high performers experiencing a dip. But today... I'm going to put on my mental health advocate hat. Yo, your mental health advocate hat, (laughs) it really, I was in a room. I don't even remember which room. I just know that we were discussing mental health. And Mm -hmm. you dropped those seven gems on us, brother. And I was like, yo, I got to give the people what they want, a new straight yak episode, because these seven gems, they don't even know that they need them because I didn't mm-hmm. even know that I needed them. Like, mm-hmm. yo, everybody needs these seven gems. This this is, this is needs to be your third book, brother. Oh, for sure. I'm a, You know what? I'm actually in the process of writing this book as we speak, so my plan is to release it before... Um, before June or July, I'm going to make sure it's out during the summertime before fall hits and the winter hits because I know that's when the season of depression starts to come come around. So I want to make sure we have this book in place as a as a tool for people to use to uh, initiate their self-growth and sustain it. Seasonal depression is definitely something that I have started to struggle with in the last few years. I feel like mm-hmm. when I was younger, it really didn't phase me much. But now that I'm, like, midway into 30s, I'm 34, Mm -hmm. when the season begins to slip into fall and winter, that really takes, that really begins to affect me now in a way that I feel like it didn't affect me before. Or maybe it Mm -hmm. did. I just didn't notice it as much before. Why do you think you notice it more now than you noticed it before? I don't know. Um... I feel like maybe three or four years ago, I just found myself just floating through life um, just with the program, like, but barely being able to like get up, having the energy to do anything and just going with the motion. And one day, one of my really good friends of like 
15 years called me and was, you know, we were just chatting and she was like, Hey girl, you know, how you been? And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm good. Typical response. And then Mm -hmm. I think we chatted, you know, like a few more sentences. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm good or not. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. bad, but I don't think I'm good. (laughs) You know? And I think that just kind of opened the portal of like, I'm not good. I'm not bad. I'm somewhere in between. And it had got to a point where like, I just didn't want to do any of any of the things that I typically wanted to do. I would get up in the morning and get like halfway dressed and just lay on the bed and not be able to go to work. You know, like I didn't feel sad. I just didn't have any motivation. And I feel like prior to, I just felt that depression or whatever was just linked to sadness or something, you know, like, I guess I had a a certain way that I felt depression looked like. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't think that Mm -hmm. is what it was. But then like the following year, I found myself, you know, when the season changed and, you know, it's gray, the days aren't as long. I found myself kind of indifferent during those times. And I realized that the season changing like that does have an effect on me. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm, it did in the sure. past. I'm not sure, but I, it's more over. At least it, it's more overt now than it was in the past. Right, right. You're, you're absolutely correct. You know, a lot of people equate, you know, the, the fall and the winter with what Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is usually family time. Right. And some people may be away from their families. Some people may be depressed leading into that season and it spills over into those holidays. And some people may not uh, get gifts during Christmas time or may not have enough money to get their family gifts. There's a lot of things that contribute to it. People who pass away during those times or pass away and they're not able to enjoy this holiday with this person. So there's a lot of things that things that go into it for sure. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I'm and that's another part that may play into some people's. For me, I'm really not big on holidays. So I'm not thinking about those things so much as other people mm-hmm. may be, but there's so many variables that play into people's mental health during that time of year, and so it's important for people to just really be um aware of themselves and what may be contributing to their mood to their feelings to maybe possible depression or yeah. whatever during those times of year. I mean, during any particular time, but especially during those times. For sure. Wholeheartedly agree. And I know we were chatting before about some really awesome things. And I just kind of want you to dive into some of that stuff. Like, so we could just start working through that. Um, I don't even know where to begin, brother. You could just. <laughs> There's a lot to come. You I mean, know? it's a lot. Uh, so you spoke about how people can have certain tools to unpack and, and, and be aware, first of all, of what's going on. And I think you hit on the first thing I wanted to talk about. So with this new book I'm, I'm uh, finishing up, it's called, uh, you know, Seven, I'll, I'll, I won't give the book title, I'll just say this. It's basically seven steps to your personal growth and your self-growth. I'll say that. Uh and there are seven steps. I'll give the seven steps here, and I'll unpack more in the book. But I want to speak to this podcast, um, the listeners as well, too, to give them some tools and some perspectives 
of how to overcome that mental barrier in your mind that's holding you back and keeping you in bed and making you lazy. I've been through that. I, I get it. So I want to jump off the porch and I want you to interject anywhere you feel like you need to with these seven steps. Gotcha. So with, with the first step that I've noticed in myself throughout the journey, the first way that you can start your growth journey is to become self-aware, right? It's to become self-aware. Now, being self-aware, what, what influences that? Sometimes somebody can tell you about yourself. That's one way. Sometimes life can make something happen and make you aware of something, right? Self-awareness comes in different forms, different fashions, but it makes you see something, makes you come to, to the realization of something. So self-awareness, if you have it, it's great. However, if you only stay at the level of self-awareness, this is a danger zone. It's, it's, be, being self-aware is similar to this. One time when I was playing basketball in Brooklyn, right, I came down off a rebound. We was about to win our third game in a row, finish out the series. I came down off a rebound and broke my foot. Yikes. But I didn't know my foot was broken. I'm from the hood, so I'm thinking, you, you hurt something, hurt a little ankle, a little foot, you walk it off, you're all right. Right. I tried to walk on my foot, and I couldn't. It was limp, so I had to hop over to the net. And then I had my boys help me over to the bench. And luckily, some EMT was in the area. And the guy from EMT came over and told me to put my foot up on the bench. I did. And I said, hey, man, I, I, I did, something, did something to my foot. If you guys could just wrap it up for me and give me some crutches, I'd be all right. It'll heal up on its own. You know, just go home. He said, uh, try wiggling your toes. I couldn't wiggle my toes. He said, yeah, your foot is broke. And I had to go to the hospital that night and have them wrap me up and put everything in place and give me the crutches and all that good stuff. And they gave me instructions on what to do and how to take care of it and help it heal properly. Here's the thing. There are a lot of people who are injured, broken foot on a soul level, is what I'm saying, right? right. Broken feet, uh, broken arms, cracked skulls, all these things. And the pain is there. But if you're surviving, you're just trying to make it financially, you're trying to make it emotionally to keep your head up so you can survive and get through some tough times, then you won't deal with those injuries. Probably, maybe you don't have insurance. Put it in that term, right? right. You don't have the insurance to pay for it. So therefore, I'll just tough it out. And then you'll get used to the pain. But then that pain needs to be medicated because it will cry out eventually it's gonna you're gonna feel it this uncomfortable feeling you're gonna feel it and so what some people do they take all these diet pills and Tylenol and other prescription pills to deal with the pain ibuprofen instead of actually fixing the root of it right which was the broken foot or the broken arm or whatever it is it's the same with your soul you have soul trauma things become broken you become aware of it the pain is there, but you mask it, and you mask it with addictions and uh, whatever it may be. It can be smoking weed. It can be all different types of drugs. It can be sex. It can be alcohol. It can be pornography. It can be uh, burying yourself into relationships addiction. It can be all types of things that help you feel like you're okay without dealing with that pain. 
So this first step of self-awareness is great, but if you don't move to the next step, self-awareness in itself will destroy you. That's and deep. so after, yeah, go ahead if you want to piggyback on that. No, I'm just saying it's deep because when I think about it, like something just as simple as like, you know, people who struggle with alcoholism and, you know, drug addictions, they say the first step is admitting you have a problem. And you could say, I am an alcoholic, but if you don't take those 12 steps, <laughs> you know, like you're still an alcoholic. You're not recovering. You're not a recovering alcoholic. You're still an alcoholic unless you do the work, unless you stop, <laughs> unless you address it head on. It's kind of like the same thing in a way. Yes. Some people can become addicted to their trauma. They're addicted to their trauma that they, they only know themselves because of trauma. And so it's, it's important for us to stop taking these pain medications to deal with broken bones. Let's get to the root and put this bone back in place. So the second thing that must happen, yes, you have self-awareness. If you don't deal with it, we talked about the negative effects of it. So if you want to deal with it, the things you become self-aware about, the second step is to unpack. What does it mean to unpack? Now, this it, it gets really interesting here. So if I'm going too fast, so Gary, slow down. Nah, I got you. I'm taking notes. <laughs> taking notes over there. Okay. That's that's what the, the, the silence is about. Got it. All right. So the second thing is unpack. If you don't unpack, first of all, let's talk about what unpack is. Let's go there. What is unpacking? I just moved to Nashville, Tennessee last March. Last year, March 2020. I had to buy everything fresh, right? Everything in my house. But why, when I moved here, I moved here. The money was good, but I, I thought I didn't. I didn't bring anything over here with me. I didn't bring any furniture. I didn't bring any nothing over here, but my clothes, right? But mentally, I bought maybe four U-Haul trucks here <laughs> to Nashville that needed to be unpacked. So I put it this way. When you're in survival mode, you compartmentalize, right? There was one Thanksgiving, maybe in 2003, where our water was off and we didn't have any Thanksgiving food at all in the house. My mom gave me $5 to go to the corner store to get some smoked sausages. We had some rice in the house, I guess. And then she sent my other brothers to go upstairs to a neighbor's house to get some buckets of water to bring them down the house to put them in all the sinks and put some in the tub and also for her to cook with. I came back with the sausage. She made some yellow rice with some smoked sausages. That was our Thanksgiving. And I asked my mom years later, maybe 2011 or 12, I was sitting on the couch with her and I asked her, I said, Mom, you remember this Thanksgiving? And she said, Dad, I really don't remember this Thanksgiving. I'm like, Mom, we did this, you gave me this. She said, son, when you're focused on surviving, you just have to keep moving. You don't really focus on things like that. When I got older, right, and I started experiencing my own trials, it made sense because I started to do the same thing. I started compartmentalizing putting things away in the public storage of my mind 
so I can keep surviving to get to that next step. Mm. And so I had all this stuff in the storage in my mind, but while you're putting stuff in the storage in your mind, compartmentalizing, you got to pay rent on that storage. Just like you got to pay, pay rent on the storage monthly, put stuff in the physical storage. You got to pay rent on the storage in your mind if you compartmentalize. You pay rent on that storage every day. You're trying to figure out, why am I so tired? Why don't I have motivation? Why can't I get out of bed? Why do I feel like, because you have so much stuff in your storage, that your brain, is, you got to pay rent to hold that stuff there on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's important to unpack. After you become self-aware, great, awesome. Now let's unpack. What does unpack mean? Let's take the stuff out the storage. Unload. Like, I feel like now I I totally, when Erica Badu said pack light, I feel like. You see what she was saying, right? <laughs> one, day, made total, uh-huh. one day. One That's day. That's all made total sense to me yeah. when I got older. Right, you know. And, it, and the crazy thing about songs like that is they make more and more sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, as the more and more you age, the more and more they take on, you know, like a different meaning or, Indeed. you know, they it come it, the meaning becomes more clear on what it actually Indeed. means. And it's like, mm-hmm. yo, you, <laughs> you want to pack super light because it's pack not. Super light, but you can't. How can you pack super light if you haven't unpacked everything first? Right. And this is where I'm going. I'm following. When you unpack, you gotta you gotta talk it out. And you know, yes, you have friends, and sometimes yes, you may have pastors or whatever it may be. But I encourage you. I encourage whoever's listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, you need to unpack. Please go see a therapist or counselor. Find somebody that is skilled enough to listen to you and ask you questions based upon what you're saying to help you get to the root of those issues. You got to get to the, the root more, of it. Yep. You got to get to the root of it. The more self-aware you are, the better your sessions will be. The more vulnerable you are, the better your sessions will be. So as you're in this process of unpacking, right? First of all, you know this all too well going to therapy yourself. The first session or two Maybe based upon you still thinking you are the hero, right? You got to stop caring for people so much. I got to stop giving to people so much. Or I'm just natural carer and provider. I got to stop trying to just build everybody. I got to love myself more. But then you ask yourself, okay, what made you even do this for this person? What made you do this? What was your thought process? How did you think about yourself? What, what, are you, what were your values then? You start to own things about yourself. You're like, oh, snap. Oh, this, this is ugly. I don't like looking at the ugly of me, which is why some people don't go past self-awareness. Because shame hurts a bit. People don't want to touch shame. You have to go through the door of shame to become victorious. Right? Shame says, I am a bad person. And we have to go through the experience of correcting shame and turning that into guilt. Guilt says, I did something wrong. I did something bad. But shame says, I'm a bad person. So it's okay to feel those negative or 
those feelings, I would say, those uh, unhealthy feelings or thoughts that you had over all this time, it's okay to experience it. That's what happens when you unpack. I don't know about y'all, but I'm looking around for the collection plate. Can <laughs> <laughs> cash that bomb, Darius Brown. So, so what I'm saying is, you have to unpack. Once you finish unpacking, well, unpacking is never done. Actually, it's a journey. But the initial step when you're on your goal of uh, self growth is, and the second step is to unpack. So, you're going to experience the shame, the pain, the, the guilt. And then eventually, as you unpack, you'll start to get more comfortable unpacking. However, you can't get addicted to unpacking. Because there are a lot of people who love to just unpack. They feel, they feel good. Ah, I got that off my chest. Ah, I got that off my chest. But then you never take the next step. That's what is the next step. The next step and the seven steps of self-growth after being self-aware and unpacking is to own it. Is to own it. There are a lot of people who want to talk to a therapist and talk to a counselor and maybe even talk to a friend just to unpack. And if you have a good friend, they may have a very, very good listening ear and you feel good after you just let it off your chest. However, you never owned your own stuff. You never owned your own BS. You never owned your own mistakes, your own toxic traits. You never owned your part in your journey of why you feel the way you feel based on what you unpacked. You have to own. You have to own your part of the journey of how you got where you are emotionally. You got to look at yourself and say, self, own your own shit. Right, (laughs) right. I'd be like Medea. Sometimes I say to myself, self. Self. <laughs> you gotta own it. So, but you'll never get to a place of ownership if you're still stuck in shame, right? So that's why getting over shame is so important. You gotta how, own. How do you get over that shame, though? You asked a great question. You asked a great question. So the thing about shame is. First of all, again, it's, it's someone saying, I am a bad person. Because someone can have done some horrible things, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to help that person realize, hey, you did something horrible. You are not horrible. All right? That's the basis. Secondly, you have to start to recall all the good things about yourself, too. Because if you were this terrible person, you wouldn't have been able to do the other good things, too. Right. So you have to do an inventory on the good parts about you as well, too. That's another part of overcoming shame. Do an inventory of the good things about you. We don't normally like to do this. We could easily recall good things, uh, terrible things about ourselves. But the good things about us, sometimes we have a hard time embracing. But in order to overcome shame, you have to embrace the good parts about you, too and love it immensely. And that will help you to own it, which is the third step, right? Owning your own mistakes, owning your own pitfalls. You also have to have a big enough vision of where you want to go and who you want to be. We all, Sometimes we let our shame define us and we become the identity 
of the protected person we needed to be to not get hurt again. Mm. And so we stay in this identity of a person. But behind that that false person is who we really want to be. Right? It was a guy that probably ended up become a, becoming a pimp. But behind it all, he probably wanted to be a good husband. Hmm. But he had some trauma, which led to a protective personality. I can to see avoid that. shame. I can see that. I think, I think, a, I, yeah, I can see that in a lot of people. It, it, it comes through in a lot of ways, right? So I think I've been there. I think I've been there before. <laughs> I think we've all been there. Oh my goodness, we've all been there, right? But it's about how do you overcome that false identity to get to the root of who you really wanted to be? Because as you as you unpack, you'll start to see who you really wanted to be. And if you want to fight for that person of who you really want to be, then you're going to get over that shame and start to own your your miscomings or your mistakes. Or whatever, I would I would say because you got to go to the fourth step. After you have self-awareness, you unpack what you're self-aware about and you own your shortcomings in this process of why you feel these unwanted thoughts or feel the way you feel, then you got to do the work. That's the fourth step. Do the work. Darius, what does do the work mean? (laughs) This is the hard part. This is the part of accumulating new knowledge, and unlearning old, unhealthy knowledge. That's number one. Accumulating new knowledge and unlearning old, unhealthy knowledge. Hmm. What do you mean when you say that? So the first step in doing the work is you have to unlearn certain things that you did before that serve the false identity of who you were being based on trauma. But people make unlearning sound simple when they say, you got to unlearn some things. Unlearning doesn't happen. You can't unlearn like you learn. It's a process. It's a process. So unlearning is a process of actions of the new knowledge you put in yourself. Mm -hmm. Unlearning is passive. It just happens. All you can control is gaining new knowledge to be the person you said you really wanted to be now that you unpacked. And also start practicing what this new person does. And as you practice that, the unlearning starts to happen. Because un- unlearning is, a, is, is redefining your habits. That's all unlearning is. Redefining your habits. That's what Ooh, unlearning is. That's what I'm working the on right now. <laughs> the only way you can work on it is continually getting new knowledge and doing actions in accordance with that knowledge, AKA setting new boundaries for yourself. And I feel like that's one of the things that therapy has helped me with. Maybe not so much. So with my habits, I mean, it's, it ain't through with me yet, (laughs) 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 but definitely in terms of my relationships, platonic, romantic, familial it's definitely helped me uh, even professional setting boundaries so that Mm -hmm. I can be more at peace you know like within myself Mm -hmm. um in ways that you know like I didn't even realize that I needed boundaries um Mm -hmm. that has been like super super you know because 
a lot of people feel like, oh, you need therapy because something is wrong or you're broken or, you know, all of these things. And that's not necessarily true. Even if you've done the work and you've been self-aware and you've done the unpacking, you've owned it and you're doing the work and all of those things, I think we all have, you know, this, this is a journey. We all have room for improvement at any point, you know, like in life. And so I feel like whenever you you sit down with a therapist, someone who is trained, they can always help you um, improve and take the next step and go, you know, like a a step further, Um, kick you a notch up. You know what I mean? It doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, like depleted or on zero or at bottom. You know what I mean? Like, if they say how you feeling on a scale of one to ten, you don't have to be a one. You can be like, oh, I'm I'm a ten, <laughs> and go right. in. But I want to stay at a ten. You know what I'm saying, right? Or it's, go higher. It's it's, it's, it's just it's right. like mental health. I don't know if you said this or if I heard it somewhere else on the clubhouse, but mental health is the same thing as you know dental health or uh, women's health or you. <laughs> whatever type of health is just maintaining. I mean, it's, it's all about maintenance, preventative maintenance, routine maintenance, you know, like, like you do for your car. yeah, like it's, <laughs> you want to do preventative, you want to do routine, you want to do wellness, you know, like all type of stuff. You, it, it you, oil change. That doesn't mean something is wrong with your car. <laughs> Or your engine right. light might be on. You know, it's, it's different reasons why you need your car serviced. So it's different right. reasons why you may need to see us, you know, uh, a therapist. And so, but as long as you're getting the work done, right, and maintaining the work right. before you, your engine goes out on you, and now your engine is costing a, the same amount of you know of another car, right, because you didn't do the self work, right. That's right. why doing the self work is so 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 imperative. It's about, I guess, like the process of, of therapy is about helping you remain like self-aware, you know, like like you were saying earlier, like you, you don't. You jump in the gun. You jump in the gun. I don't, okay, let me back down. We, we going to get there. We doing the work. <laughs> That's where we at right now. We on step doing four, the work y'all. Right now. We doing the work. We're number four, which is doing the work. And again, doing the work is about gaining new knowledge and in line with the new person you're starting to become. And practicing that new knowledge so that you can unlearn the old knowledge that was unhealthy. That's that's what this process is about. It's about setting those boundaries. It's about, uh, that's really the biggest thing is setting boundaries around this new person. I'll put it to you this way. Do you like apples? I do. I love apples. I just bought some Gala apples myself today. One thing about apple trees is, is this. When an apple tree is, is first planted, right, it starts out as an apple bud, and it's protected by a gate, like a small gate, and it's usually put in areas where it's a little bit more cool. And so when it's a little bit more cool, deer are usually around. If a deer is in the same area as, as this apple shoots or this apple bud, sometimes deer can come around and start to bite at the trunk of this thing as it's starting to grow. And it can actually damage the trunk and, and stunt the growth of this apple tree from growing. So that's why they put gates around it, right? So they put this gate around it. It starts to grow to an apple shoot. 
eventually this apple shoot gets to a place where it's big enough where they'll take this smaller apple, beginning of apple tree, and they'll put it in this big environment. So imagine uh, a, a pen going inside of a big pasta pot. A small pen going inside of a pasta pot. That was put an apple bud or shoot right in that area. Something that's much bigger than itself. Why? Because they know what this, this thing is about to become. So this apple shoot grows its roots down first, and then it grows up. So within this first year of this thing growing, you have to water this apple tree. After the first year of growing an apple tree, you don't have to water it anymore because it generates its own water system. That's why apples are juicy the way it is. You don't have to keep watering an apple tree. It's, mm. it's already has a system done. So what am I saying? In the beginning of this beautiful apple tree becoming what it was, it had to be protected. It needed those gates around it so the deer couldn't come and bite the trunk and damage the growth. That's why boundaries are important around this new person you're becoming because you're vulnerable. You're doing new things. You're talking new. You're living new. But the old you is right around the corner and it can damage, you know, the new you you're becoming because it's easy to do the old things. You got to protect it with boundaries. And even, That's why boundaries. You know what I'm ahead. saying? Even once I've grown into the new me, I still need to keep those boundaries up as well, right? Well, hear what I'm saying. You do. However, when the apple tree gets... Imagine a deer trying to bite at, bite at the trunk of an established apple tree. What is it going to accomplish? Oh, true. <laughs> you, so when true, you get to a place true, of, true. of where you've grown so much, it's almost like an ant trying to bite an elephant's foot. The fortified skin won't feel it. So yes, boundaries are important in the beginning, but as you grow, it's like those boundaries become automatic. It's not even boundaries anymore. It's just who you are. This is true. Okay, I see what you're saying. But that's why I think boundaries are very important in the self-work process. There's certain boundaries I've set for myself now to make sure I'm not going back to old habits. To it Basically, it's protecting me from using things to deal with uncomfortable feelings and uncomfortable thoughts and for me to sit there and process them healthily. And we're going to get there. But do the self-work is including new knowledge, practice new behaviors, and building boundaries around yourself to work out this new person you're becoming. That's doing the work. That's number four. Number five is very, very. You can do the self-aware work, self-aware, you unpack, right? You own it, you take an ownership for yourself, and you're doing the work to become a better self. But now, as you have learned new knowledge, you're becoming a better person, and you're putting boundaries around yourself, you have to have a plan and the proper perspective. That's number five. You have to have a plan and the proper perspective. Why do, why do I say that? Anytime that I may have a relapse, Unquote. And we're going to get to that on the next step. And anytime I may go back to a bad habit, because it's natural in your, your process of recovery, I can almost always track it back to not having a plan in place. I had too much free time. I didn't have a structured day, right? 
Mm. <laughs> you preach it now. <laughs> Too much free time, no structured day, and I probably didn't have a proper perspective. That's the second thing in step number five. What do I mean by having a proper perspective? This means that you need to have a routine where you can put into your mind something positive, something spiritual, something faith-based. Because these are the things that's going to help you maintain your journey of becoming that person that you said you're going to work to be in step four, which is doing the work. In step five, you got to have a plan. What's the vision? What are the goals? And also, what's the perspective? Are you investing in yourself in the morning time or at night? What are you putting into your mind? You can't say you want to be this new person and, and you know do the work to be this new person, but your, your mind is counterintuitive towards that. So you got to have a plan in place. Go ahead and get a planner. Please, I, I encourage you. The two most important things you need to have in your self-growth journey is a journal and a planner. They go hand in hand. Listen, I feel like <laughs> I feel like my therapist is in the room looking down at me right now. Like, mm-hmm, I told you, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> you told you this? <laughs> Yo, like, listen, y'all, listen to what Darius is saying. This is free game, okay? Because this is stuff that my therapist tell me every time we talk. And it's you know, like... <laughs> my therapist never told me to get you know, this journal. I started doing my own journaling. And I knew that journaling was important in the therapy process before I started going and taking sessions. But it's taking I to get a journal me, for myself. It's taking me time to get to certain things, to like build these habits and... Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I don't know, and I and I think that I'm gonna try to lean in to some of these gems that you dropping because um, I don't know if it's shame or not, but I'm gonna do some unpacking around what's blocking me from getting to it. Um, I keep trying to what in particular? Um, getting into journaling and consistently mm. using my planner. Um. My ther- my therapist is consistently on me about those things. Um, just this past week in my session, um, she went back over some stuff. I'm in graduate school right now. Um, mm-hmm. I had a really rough patch um, during the second half of my semester. Um, and it was largely because, you know, um, the lack of a plan and the proper perspective. Step number five. Mm. It's like mm. I it's like I have it, but I don't have it. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's like I fell into that crack. It's something that you said about um I don't know, um relapsing. And so it was mm-hmm. like a moment of relapsing <laughs> and it was because, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that I had too much time. It was just like, I didn't have a plan in place or I didn't prepare enough. Yeah. Hold on. Time out. <laughs> Anytime you don't have a plan in place, you do have too much time on your hands. Because all Well, call time me out. Tell the truth for shame. The devil. Okay. All good so, time is not good. To, all time is not good time. The reason I say that is because I know I'm cutting you off a bit. Well, please forgive me. I got to say this. 
it's a difference between busyness and effectiveness. Mm. There's a lot of people just busy. If you don't have a plan, you're busy. Mm. Come on, read me out. And so, but if you have a plan, you're effective. That means you're employed by your vision. If not, you're going to be employed by somebody else's vision. And I'm not just talking about a job. I'm talking about the general. No, I totally understand. So really what happened was, um, because I didn't plan and prepare um, to take care of myself um, in time, like mentally, and was mm. just, you know, like ignoring, you know, like pushing past, you know, like some of the initial red flags in that seasonal transition, I got to a point where, you know, that seasonal depression, like, started to kick in and I didn't catch it early enough. Mm-hmm. And so I got into a situation where I like, I just kind of got pinned by my own depression and anxiety and got behind a bit. And then I was just stagnant and just kind of stuck in place. And so by the time I sought the help that I needed and got myself back on track, it was just kind of too late and everything was super chaotic and I could have mm. prevented that if I had the proper plan mm-hmm. <laughs> in place and, mm-hmm. you know, like had taken um, action earlier, sooner, um, and been on top of everything. If I had the proper plan and perspective, mm-hmm. um, I would have I fared better in that. And so she was coming down. Well, I mean, not coming down on me, but she was, you know, being real with me about making making me go back and think and pinpointing that that's essentially what happened and telling me that I need to develop a better routine, mm. AKA a better plan. <laughs> and you know, I've, I've been reaching out for additional support and trying to get it together step by step. Mm. So that's something that what I'm working on. What do you mean by on. reaching out by additional support? Um, just leaning into, I don't know any and everybody that can just help pull, you know, me into the right space and place so I can try to get it on track because support is everything, you know, like don't feel, you know what I mean? Like you got to move past that shame and reach out and, you know, like into your friends and your family and, you know, new people like me. Yeah, absolutely. Like Um, you, like, you know, like, You'll be surprised that the support that is out there, you know, for you, um, don't be afraid to reach out. Like people are more than willing to help. I know that sometimes in the past you may have ran into multiple people that are not willing to help, but don't allow that to be the reason that you don't reach out to all of us who are looking to support you. Yeah. Wow. You know, what I've discovered is, like you just saying, what I've discovered is people who are not willing to help are not healed themselves. Yes, that's it. A healed person will always want to breathe life into someone else because they know what it's like to suffocate. Yes, do not take it personal. Mm-hmm. Do not mm-hmm. take it personal. You can't. And and if you do take it personal, again, it's like going against uh, one of the four agreements. You know, <laughs> That right. you're making the world all about you again. And that's what shame and ego does. Shame and ego. This is how you catch your shame and your ego, is when you're making everything about you. You're starting to get easily offended by a lot of things. You're like, what's going on with me? You're being triggered by so many things. Oh, everything is about me right now. Okay, where am I operating? I feel shame. 
I feel anger. I feel whatever those feelings are, right? And we're going to get there uh, about this identifying feelings. But in this fifth step, it's really about, again, planning proper perspective. Get your routine right. Because without it, relapses around the corner. And next thing you know, it's a full-on addiction again. We're all addicted to something. Everyone, hands down, is always... <laughs> It has one at one point in their life been addicted to their own trauma without knowing it, addicted to their own pain, mm-hmm. and we're striving to get people out of that addiction. Ooh. come on, somebody! <laughs> so you gotta have a routine, and you gotta have proper perspective. Your routine starts to replace old habits. That's the whole thing about it. The routine replaces old habits. So I encourage you in this step: get you a planner and get you a journal. A journal will help you keep the right, right perspective because you're not going to have the right perspective all the time. But when you feel the feeling of the wrong perspective coming, because thoughts are a child of feelings. Mm. You feel it first before you can act, before you can conceptualize it. And then you conceptualize it, then you speak it. Then you speak it, you are it. So that's why you have to catch it at that feeling stage then healthily conceptualize it the way you, you need to conceptualize it and journal it, write it down. When I was on the plane on the way to New Jersey on Friday to go see my family, there were some feelings I had. I'm like, hold on, something feels off. I feel like I'm, I'm not the best version of me. What, what's going on? And I started to check myself. I started to ask myself some questions. Why do you feel this way? Okay, what causes you to be, uh, not have focus? Okay, what's causing you to, to not uh, do these things? What's causing you to not meal prep the way you want to? What's causing you not to abide by this? And I really started to get to the root of it, writing these questions down in my journal. And then I turned the corner and I said, you know what? I, I didn't have a proper plan in place. I didn't have the routine in place. So I wrote down 10 areas of improvement that I wanted to do with myself immediately. 10 areas of improvement. I'm starting to work on those things. I already put the plan in place. I put the alarms in my phone. I already got the groceries, the meal prep tomorrow, right? I already got certain things set in place to make those improvements. And you got to get active and get the routine going again. So it's really, really, really important to have the plan and perspective right. So as you have your plan and your perspective right, you're doing the work. You're on this self-growth journey. You're doing your thing. Look out for two things now. This is step number six. Look out for triggers and alarms. Triggers and alarms. They are not the same. There is what are triggers and alarms. I think we all know what a trigger is. I think even Janae Aiko has a song about this. <laughs> you know, your trigger is a direct response of trauma. Your trigger is a direct response of trauma. You respond to a traumatic experience you had. Whether this person knew it or not, they said something or maybe even made a subtle gesture that reminded you of somebody or something that gave you a traumatic, painful experience and you react from it. Hmm. That's that's where we get assumptions from. That's why we ghost people (laughs) for the most part. That's why we go back into our old addictions and habits from triggers because either we'll lash out from a trigger 
or we'll go treat that trigger with something we used to use for pain addiction, trauma addiction, whatever your vice was. So you got to watch out for triggers on this health growth journey. You're going to have triggers on this journey. You're going to have triggers. And on, on the next step, we're going to teach you how to deal with those triggers. But you're going to have triggers, but you're also going to have alarms. Darius, what is an alarm? An alarm is good. An alarm is actually what we call red flags, right? And now I want to make sure people understand, especially in relationships, triggers and red flags are not the same thing. We call them the same thing. Some people say, oh, I saw a red flag. I'm out of here. That was a trigger. That was not a red flag. Mm. Red flags are alarms that go off in your mind that are in keeping with your values. They are in keeping with this new person you put boundaries around. Alarms remind you, "Uh uh-oh, you're about to step over your own boundary. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's about to step over your boundary. Alarms remind you of who you say you are and what you said you wanted. Alarms are healthy. Go ahead. No, that's, that's, yeah, I I think that's the right, I think that's the way that I use it when I refer to that. Like, "Mm, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Like that's. Because red flags can be explored. Right. It's like, but then if it's too many, then that's might be indicative of that's almost too many boundaries that you right that you that you're either about to cross or that you have crossed right because sometimes a red flag can turn into a green flag if someone didn't know right but even with ourselves we have our own internal alarms that go off in us uh oh you're about to go against. Loving yourself because you're about to go do all this stuff for somebody else or you're about to go against whatever it may be. Hey, check this for a second. And that's much healthier than a trigger, right? But you'll never have alarms if you don't unpack and discover who you really want to be, what are your true values, the person you're really striving to become. Alarms won't come that way. You'll only just know triggers. I hope I'm making sense when I say this and I hope the listeners are following. I'm, I think I'm following you. I think I'm following. So triggers and alarms, they both will happen in your self-growth journey. Know the difference between the two and also know that alarms are healthy. They remind you of who you're striving to become your true values. Adhere to them. Listen to them and let them, they let you know that your boundaries are intact and they want you to stay inside those boundaries. Now, when it comes to, again, the triggers on step six, how do you deal with these triggers? You have to do the same process that I just told you I did when I was on the plane. Asking myself, why am I feeling this way? Triggers are going to come, but you have to catch it. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I bothered by what they said so much? Why, Why am I bothered by what I just did so much? If you don't deal with the trigger, I guarantee you, you're going to relapse. But if you do happen to relapse, there's hope. That's step number seven. Overcoming self-love relapse. Overcoming self-love relapse. 
Now, this one gets a little deep. I want you to follow me on this one. We're all bound to have a relapse, as we talked about, as you just talked about. How do you overcome the self-love relapse, even if you don't have a therapist to talk to? This is, this is the process to go, to, go through when, you, when no therapist is around. This is you. How do you overcome your self-love relapse? Number one, identify your inner child. Identify your inner child. Your inner child is not this adult inside of you that that you look at in the mirror. Your inner child is that 12-year-old, that 15-year-old, that 10-year-old, that 7-year-old. And that inner child, even though you've been doing some of the work and healing, it still has some gases on it. Every time you do a relapse or a mistake, you get a gash, you get a cut, you get a wound on that inner child again. You have to identify the inner child and understand that when you talk to yourself after you make a mistake or you relapse, you're not just talking to the adult. Because why, why am I saying this? And I want you guys to catch this. If you talk to yourself as an adult, you will judge yourself as if you knew better. And you'll shame yourself. You should know better. You're an adult. You're 30 years old. You're 40 years old. You're 25, whatever. You should know better. And you'll, you won't speak to yourself the right way. But if you understand you're talking to the inner child in you, you give that child more compassion because that inner child is scared. It doesn't, it doesn't want to uh, confront the shame. It's embarrassed. So you literally have to talk to your inner child as if it's sitting right next to you. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. You literally have to console your inner child like they're sitting right next to you. Let them know, hey, I know we made a mistake. You're not a mistake, though. I'm proud of you. We're doing the self-growth journey. We're, we're moving forward. We've been doing this work. Let's continue going. All right? It's okay. I got you covered. We're fine. You have to really console that inner child inside of you and speak to it with compassion so that you're not falling into shame. But let me double back. I, I did forget something. If you want to overcome your self-love relapse, number one, you actually have to feel the feeling. I mean, go back there. Feel whatever feeling it is. And I always encourage people to get a feelings chart or a feelings wheel. I'm sure you know about this already. No, tell me more. You know about the feelings wheel. No. So the feelings wheel is basically it's a wheel of words that, that are feelings-based. Shame, guilt, depressed, I feel defeated, I feel, it's, it's different words on there. It could be happy, it could be, you know, or jovial, it's different words on the chart. You can look it up on Google. I'm Googling right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, number seven, overcoming, overcoming self-love, relapse. The first thing is you want to sit with that feeling and identify the feeling, right? Sit and identify with that feeling. Number two, call that feeling out for whatever it is. This feeling's will will help you call out whatever this feeling is. Number three, remember, it's not you feeling this feeling. It's your inner child, right? So you have to go back to that step I told you guys about, which is consult your inner child and speak compassionately to your inner child. Remind your inner child of who they are. 
Let them know they're great. The dreams that they had still will come to pass. We're going to get past this. We've, we've been doing the self-work. Let's get better. Number four is to <laughs> remind yourself of your boundaries and get back in alignment with those boundaries. What makes Number you say, five. Wait, what makes you what say makes that? Me, about the boundaries? Yeah. Well, the way, the reason we got ourselves into the situation in the first place to uh, have the relapses, we we went outside of our boundaries. Mm. Or we deviated from the plan. That that brings me back, right? That brings me back to the next step I was going to say. Mm-hmm. After you redefine your boundaries, then you go back and you set a plan in place. And you give yourself a fresh positive perspective you got to go back to step five which is the plan and proper perspective this the overcoming self-love relapse is really all the steps combined for the most part but this part is really about talking to that child Mm -hmm. that you unpacked step number two are you following me i'm picking up what you're putting down all right I hope y'all taking notes. <laughs> you know, if, when these seven steps. And if you haven't taken notes, just replay it and take notes because there we go. This is this is gold right here. Well, just wait till the book comes out this year and have more detail. I'm than that. definitely buying a few copies and gifting them to a few people. I definitely would encourage that. As you know, I have I have seven brothers and one sister. I'm sure my brothers can benefit from this book by itself. I'm probably, I'm probably writing this book for them, not only for myself, you know? This is dope. This is beyond dope. Like, and this is what Clubhouse is about. <laughs> this is what, I don't know, this is, this is just what the power of the internet and social media and just... Our responsibility nah. in general. Nah. Why are you I'm about saying to say, nah? I was about to, The reason I'm saying, like you, you saying Clubhouse, and I, I know you're saying it with a positive intent, but I'm, I'm going to tell you about yourself. <laughs> Princess Black. Tell me about myself. This is the product of you continually growing yourself. You attract who you are. And I'm trying to be intentional about that, you know. You ain't trying, you're doing it. Okay. We we on the phone talking I right am now. Being intentional about that. You yeah. intentionally shot me a DM during the clubhouse. <laughs> I responded intentionally because I felt your energy through the DM. I the way you're talking it. to me right now is the way I read that message. It's just like I don't like. It's crazy because I mean. Once you get into the self-work, it's just like you just automatically, to me, become a mental health advocate, you know, because it's such a, interestingly enough, I feel like it's more, it's less of a taboo topic in our community, but it's still like so many variables that exist, you know, like the reason why people haven't started their journey, why people have hesitations or, you know, like there are many people who 
are kind of like big mental health advocates, but feel like they still don't need a therapist or they don't need to do the work, um, which I think is interesting. Um, but I understand like how they just haven't been able to see themselves or how, right. you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that, that idea or that thought that I'm okay. So I don't, I don't need it, but you know, to all the people who are not okay, go ahead. But again, this journey, this process doesn't mean that you're not okay. <laughs> it just means that we you all, be better. yeah, we all want to be better. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you know, it doesn't imply any of those things. It just means I want to be better. Um, even if you Indeed. are good, I want to be better. Even if you are great, I want to be greater. I you know, be, listen, why do you think the good, the, the great get greater? They invest in their self growth. LeBron James can't do everything he's doing all these years. People don't know behind the scene. He has therapists. He has life coaches. He has business coaches. The literally the amount of money that he invests in his body is a million dollars a year. Why, yeah, which is the reason why he's able to perform at such a level. Like, but that's the thing, though. That's I was on the plane. Go ahead. No, it's just kind of like you know I struggle with my weight, and it's like mm-hmm. it's easy, you know, like when people like even if for people who just want to lose, you know, like 10 or 15 pounds, they, you know, Mm -hmm. we say to ourselves, if I just had, if I had, you know, X amount of money, I could just pay someone to make me food and, you know, train me and I wouldn't have an issue. You know, you like, if I had the money to just pour into it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then, you know, like, and so it's just like, right. So if you invest in yourself, (laughs) you know, if you if you pour into yourself, you can see the results. You get what you you know what I mean. You, you get you get what you, what you invest. In. Right. Listen absolutely. to me. I'm about to say something to you, and I'm 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 gonna let you have the floor from here. Many people say, oh, "I wish I had the money to do this. Oh, I wish I had the money the money to do that, to do this or whatever." Right? Or some people pay for shortcuts. They'll get up the money to get a surefire shortcut, but they won't get up the money to invest in themselves to do the work that's not a story. Like, I wish I had somebody to cook for me. I wish I had somebody to train me and teach me the, the exercises I'm supposed to do. I wish I had... That's not owning it. You're missing step three. That's not owning... When you own it, you literally own every part of this process as much as you can. Own it. Own it. You don't know workouts? There's a bevy of videos on YouTube of how to do the workouts you need to do to get the physique or whatever you want to get. There's a bevy of information out there. A litany of videos. Own it, right? I don't have enough money to invest into that. Okay, I guarantee you, if you're not doing the self-work and on your self-growth journey, you're spending money on masking the shame and the pain and trauma that you don't even know you have. And it's coming out through emotional eating, I don't know. I don't know what else, whatever else you're paying for. Fast food, emotional eating, gam- gambling, whatever other vices that they may be. Spend he ain't never told day. no lie. At least not on this podcast. <laughs> Preach. I'm going to be real with you. 
Preach. We spend money on our pleasures to you, get dopamine to feel okay. Coming down my aisle, Pastor. <laughs> we all we all want to feel okay. We all just want to feel okay so we can function during the day. But we blow our money on striving to feel okay instead of doing the self work. Instead of just doing the self work. And a part of one of the biggest parts of doing the self work is self investment. Self investment is one of the highest forms of self-love. There was a time where I remember taking one, one time with cut. I'm not going to tell you the good location, but I spent the money on this plane tickets, hotels, all this stuff, right? Food, blah, 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 all this stuff. Got a gift, and spent a gift, whatever, all this stuff. And I had to say to myself, hold on, this is a full therapy. I had to say to myself, hold on. When we weren't dating anymore, and I noticed I was giving, 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 and not reciprocating. I'm like, man, why, why haven't I invested in my, myself? What does a hit dog can, sound like when they holler? Bow <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know. Bow wow, wow. <laughs> you be yo, you be and I'm like, I'm thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm like, hold on, hold on. I can't invest in some freaking therapy. I can't invest. I'm putting off buying this item or buying that item for myself because I keep saying I don't have enough money. But when something comes along, I'm about to come down your lane right now. When something comes along that can help me with my trauma, and mask it and put me at ease. I'll spend money on that. Because I just want to feel okay. I'll spend money on that. But I won't spend money on me and invest in myself and do the self-work. I'll spend money on things that's going to help me cope. And once you get out of that place of spending money on things that's going to help you cope, you'll see how much money you really have left over after that check or whatever it might be. See, I'm already on step loop. one over here. I know I'm already on step one over here because I'm really self-aware right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start to unpack. That's the fun part. I'm talking that. And that's the journaling comes in. You don't have a therapist. Steps. Listen, I'm, I'm from the self-growth, right? <laughs> listen, listen. Oh man, and I, I'm so, therapy for ahead. everyone. 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 Like, literally, it does not mean you are not well. It does not mean something is wrong. It does not mean anything, except we all need a place where we can go where there is someone skilled enough to help us process this life that we're living. Like, we live in a crazy world filled with so many things. So much stuff comes through us, and we unconsciously are processing things. That we don't even know. There's boundaries mm-hmm. that we need to set that we don't even realize we need to set. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, yes, we have friends and we have family, you know, um, but it's really not their responsibility to help us unpack these things. It's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair because we're all unpacking some shit, to be honest. Um, so. I charge you to find a therapist. And I know it's not easy because all therapists are not created equal. That's number one. Uh-huh. And it's uh-huh. about finding a good fit for you. Um, 
And sometimes as, you know, African-Americans, it's hard to find another, you know, black person who's a therapist. Cause I would personally recommend you find someone that looks like you so you can feel comfortable and is, you know, like there's no cultural gap or, you know, whatever. Well, let me, let me, let me uh, piggyback on that. Well, I mean, let me get to you on that one as well, too. Because what you're saying is correct. Let me add on to it. If you do happen to find a white therapist or a Caucasian therapist, there's nothing wrong with that either. I don't want to put that in the atmosphere. This the reason I say that is because they may have an understanding of our culture, too, right? And some things that we go through. However, sometimes it's not even about understanding, quote unquote, it's about them just learning to understand as they're in the session with you. Because you know the job of a therapist is never to overimpose what they believe is true. It's only to help you see what's true for you right. and in you. So, and if you if you have a white therapist, sometimes they can give you a perspective. Maybe from the black, I'm not saying either or is right. Just open your mind. They can give you a perspective that sometimes maybe your black counterpart didn't even see because they probably been through the same struggle you went through too. Yeah, you just you just have to make sure you find a space where you're comfortable. You know, that's the biggest thing. It's comfortability. Yeah, that you can. You know what I'm saying? So you can be vulnerable. These are people who are paid to keep and maintain your privacy. They're profession depends on it um so mm-hmm. you can say any and everything there's nothing that they have not heard um so you know just feel free to be honest with them in a way that maybe you haven't been honest with yourself before i find myself doing that um that's the best way to be because you, you literally you literally get out of it what you put in um, and I know sometimes money can be an issue, but reach out to family, friends, um, associates, or people, you know, who have spoken about therapy. Um, they can help you find places who have, you know, um, sliding scales or, you know, like whatever, if, yeah. you know, financial issues is a thing. Um, right. And even if you work a job, make sure you check out the EAP program right? that covers some therapy sessions for you too. You're, you're absolutely right. There's so many ways um, that you can find a way into it. Um, but please see a therapist. I've been in therapy for February 1 makes four years. And that just looks like my therapy sessions increase and decrease depending on, you know, where I am. In my mental health. If I'm well, then that means less visits. If I'm, you know, struggling a little bit, I might need more frequent visits. Um, But it just go. I mean, in the same way that I see my primary caregiver, if I'm well, then, you know, Mm -hmm. I just need routine visits. If I'm sick, you know, I need to check in a little bit more frequently. Like, hey, something's wrong or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, really, like, take the time and, I mean, run this back share with a friend and really start the journey. If you haven't already, um, if you're already on your journey, keep going, you know, like it's a constant process. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that you join me on this, like, Oh, this cutback episode. Darius, like 
you're just a wealth of information. I'm excited about this book, bro. Like, this is super dope. Like, I'm excited about it too. I'm it's, about to start telling exciting. people about this episode. Like, I'm not even on it. Like, yo, you got to check out this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're doing it, right? Listen, yo, I'm going to say this book is going to touch millions of people's lives. Before I close this out, I think I just want to pry into your business just a bit more. Like, how did you even get to this point? Like, just tell us a little bit more about you. Okay. I, I'll make it brief to a certain extent. So I, uh, I've i been on a self-growth journey. I was telling you know, someone this the other day since I was 11 years old. So I used to, I grew up as an artist. I was a rapper growing up, right? And I grew up in the church. And there was this uh, group called Lyrical Saints that just got started in the church. I wanted to be a part of this rap group. And... You know, I was a natural writer. I always could write well. You know, when the group started, you know, the manager of the group was like, hey, you know, he wrote the other two people's verses for the first performance we were about to have in front of like 300 people. And he wrote their verse. And he's like, hey, you need me to help you write your verse? I'm like, nah, I'm good. You know, some, some paper in the pen. And at 11 years old, I wrote my verse or whatever it may be. And it was on from there. And, and I've been on stage since I was 11 years old, consistently communicating with people and striving to see how I can help push people's vibes forward with the words that I, I said. Um, and I would say at 11, when I, I remember when I started rapping, and I took it very seriously to the point I remember verbatim, I remember exactly the time where I was. It was a Wednesday night, and it was like maybe 7 something that night, and it was at the church. And we was like renting out the school area we was doing church services at, but we also had a classroom area and we had a small in between area where we would gather sometimes on like Wednesday nights to write our raps or whatever. And I remember on that Wednesday night, I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take it serious. Like I'm not going to be this cute kid on stage rapping. Eleven years old, I said I'm going to take this serious. I'm going to take my mom's books on, you know, the Bible and the Holy Spirit and leadership or whatever that she had in the closet. You know, I'm going to study the Bible myself, get a concordance, get a dictionary, so I can really know what I'm talking about. And that's what I did. I got serious about my development and understanding and learning. And it put me on this path of self-growth where I became addicted to just learning and growing and seeing how I can better myself. And uh, so that, that started that journey there. And then eventually I went from rapping to speaking, to being a speaker and speaking at different colleges and uh, conferences and businesses and high schools. And that started the journey of me like, eventually becoming an author, eventually becoming a certified life coach. And I've been doing certified life coaching or life coaching, you would say, since 2012. So it's been quite a while since I've been in that coaching space. And coaching itself has modalities of therapy. If, you know, coaching has like a CBT model, modality to it. Because we used to, we still have to address a bit about where you are, where you were, so we can get you to move forward. Because coaching is about moving forward. And um, so through my process of coaching, I kind of had on a therapy hat a little bit, not a lot. Because some people, if someone needed therapy, I would refund them their money and say, hey, I think you may need some more work by a therapist. Uh, because you're not ready to actually move forward. You have to, you have to address some other things before you move forward. And... Um, so I just continued on my self journey and my growth path, and 
going through life and figuring life out myself and surviving, right? Um, having moments of been through thriving, but still surviving because I come from a background of poverty, homeless shelters, living with other people and all that stuff when I was younger. So that's the financial background I come from. Paying bills since middle school. Couldn't go to prom because I'm paying rent and light bills, you know? Couldn't afford the prom. So that's the background I come from. Always surviving, always surviving, always surviving. And um, that crept up into my adult life where I have to fight just to be financially good. But then I had to get to a place once I was financially good, now to unpack myself mentally. And once I unpacked myself mentally, then that's when this, the mental health journey began. And now at this stage of my life, this stage of my purpose, I'm able to help people not just on a coaching level, but on a mental health journey. And I feel like going through my own mental health, it helped me to have a different phase of my purpose while I'm able to speak about these seven steps. Yeah. Oh, and it, so it's the same gift, same gift of speaking and communicating with people and things of that nature. But now it's being used in a way where I can get deeper on a deeper level with people. And it's authentic. It's a lot of people who, you know, are in that lane and they are, you know, being opportunistic instead of authentic. Um, mm. And I, I could tell um, when I heard, you know, you speak that it was from more of an authentic place. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And it's just like, um, I don't know. I think on a, I think on a last note, cause we could go on it, on it, on. Oh, yeah. Um, one yeah. of the, one of the, I think important things or the last note that I wanted you to touch on was like how mental health can impact your physical being. Uh, we were oh talking about you that. Sure I mean, like, just, you know, real quick, like. Okay. So I'll make it personal uh, for myself and I'll bring it to, you know, one of the most important people in my life. It's not probably the most important person in my life outside of myself. Uh, so I'll speak on myself. Uh, for me, mental health, I, I'm going to speak from experience. When your mental health is off, you're naturally, your body is going to be off. Unless, not just your body, but just your health. Because mental health doesn't just affect your physique. It affects your heart. It affects your blood, right? It affects your muscles, the tension of your muscles. And your muscles will tell the story of your stress level, period. There's no, hands down, hands down. Uh, your heart will tell the story, unless you've had a, you were born with a heart defect, will tell the story of your mental health. So it's very important to get into health and, and therapy because if not, your health is on the line, literally, literally. Uh, with me, they, you know, with me, it came to a point where my mental health was off. I started to feel tingling in my body. It was because of stress, right? My feet tingling, ankles tingling. Um, not my body was not in the, the best shape it could be in. Why? Because I'm not taking precaution and meal prepping and taking care of myself because it takes a, a certain sense of mental health to take care of yourself, to invest in yourself. I wasn't doing that. I was just trying to eat out. And, and then, then your body starts to, to take a, take a, 
preparing for the worst and you're looking at the body like, I don't like this body that I had. And now more stain comes and now you're going to do the same things that caused you more stain to cope with the stain that you feel now. Emotional eating, more drinking, whatever it is. And so it's very important to get your mental health right so that you can have your health and your fitness right. Um, my mom, you know, had, she's a diabetic, right? And I was speaking with my mom and I asked her, my mom at one point lost 60 pounds. She was on it. She was motivated by a concept at her job, Weight Watchers. And she dropped 60 pounds in less than a year's time. And it was just through eating. It was through going outside, being consistent. When she got home from work, walking on the track, you know, and then doing the Turbo Fire DVD when she got in the house. She was consistent with that because she was choosing. She had a reason. She had a community, her job that she was working at that time and things of that nature. She, her blood pressure had dropped. You know, her, the diabetes, the, the blood sugar count was very low. It was almost dormant because she was in a good mental space. When the mental space started to drop from life situations and things of that nature, also did her health, her body. Now she's stabilizing it now, but I asked her recently, I said, hey mom, when was the last time you've gone on a walk? And she you know, told me it's been a long time. And I asked her the reason why. We started to get to the root of these reasons of uncovering why. And we got to a place where she told me the real reason, I'm not going to disclose it here, but it was a, it was a mental thing. It wasn't a physical thing of what she couldn't do. And so that's why mental health is important. You got to get to the root of those uncomfortable feelings you're having because it's not your body, it's your mind. Once you get your mind right, you can will your body into doing what it needs to do so you can achieve your purpose here on earth. That's all y'all get for free. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I am grateful for this conversation. Um, I got to play this back a couple times for myself. Um, I appreciate you more than you know for this. I, man, whew, you broke it down so it could forever and consistently be broken. <laughs> I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share. Thank you. Seriously. I, I appreciate you more than you know. This, my brothers and sisters, should not be the last episode of Straight Yak for any of the oh, foresee future. Why? Because I'm about to work all seven of these steps. There we go. And I'm, I'm about, about to have a plan and the proper perspective. And next week uh-huh. and the week after that, you will be hearing more mm-hmm. from me. Um, and I appreciate you, Brother Darius. Um, tell the people where they can find you, um, where they can reach out to you. Um, For sure. And all that jazz. For sure. So you guys can find me on Instagram at I'm Darius Brown. That's I am, not I am, just I am. D-A-R-I-U-S-B-R-O-W-N. I'm Darius Brown. On Instagram, same on Clubhouse, I'm Darius Brown. Uh, and also my website, same thing, I'm DariusBrown.com. It's a nice website, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody website. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have said anything about it. You just like, hmm, okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's all love. Thanks so much, Darius. All right, black people, always remember, I love you. Princess Black cares. If don't, nobody else cares. I'm out. Peace.